Hey everybody, how you all doing? This is Tom uh, from Heads on Sticks with uh, episode 16 of Heads on Sticks Chats. Thanks for um, checking it out. Uh, I hope you stick around for the whole episode because uh, this is a good one. This is going to be a really good one. Uh, I've been looking forward to this one. Um, as ever, uh, just before I uh, talk about the guest, um, do give the uh, uh, podcast um, a like uh, or, or a rating or whatever, whatever you listen to on your whatever you're on your preferred platform. Uh, and if you're feeling particularly generous, um, do give me a little um, a little written review on on Apple Podcasts. Um, it does help uh, uh, for visibility and reach, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, my next my guest for uh, number sixteen uh, of Heads Six Chats is Chris Cowie. Now, normally I, I it might be a little bit of a curveball because normally I, I interview artists, uh, but I kind of. I didn't want to pass this one up because I, I'm a big top of the pop. Anyone that knows me knows I have a real effects of a top of the pops. I'm fascinated by top of the pops as a, as a kind of pop cultural monolith, as a, as a rel- as a kind of cultural relic, as a musical institute, um, uh, and its history, and you know, and also on a personal, nostalgic, even dare I say, sentimental level. Uh, I just have a real love for that kind of late '90s. Uh, well, mid to late '90s, early noughties, top of the pops, uh, and it just so happens that um, largely during my childhood uh, viewing of Top of the Pops, it was largely uh, ex- uh, produced and directed by um, uh, Chris Cowie. So Chris Cowie uh, is a long-running figure from the music industry, uh, and he's been involved in music television since he was a teenager. So he started out as a um, a DJ at the Sunderland uh, Mecca, um, uh, DJing various different nights, uh, and each night was a theme night. Now, one of them, bold accounts, was sophisticated singles. I don't know what that is. I'm going to ask him. So stick around, and we'll find out. But he did do rock nights and soul nights and and the like at the Sunderland Mecca. He then started out um, as a kind of young uh, whippersnapper TV presenter in a kind of youth music magazine called Check It Out. Um, you might have seen a clip of Check It Out indirectly because it's quite a famous um, or infamous clip of uh, Chris Carey going head to head with uh, Public Image Limited during their Metal Box uh, era. Uh, so you might have seen that indirectly floating around YouTube. Um, there's also a cracking uh, Check It Out episode or, or clip of uh, Chris Carey uh, warning of the dangers of nuclear war. Uh, a very surreal cri- uh, clip. Um, from uh, from uh, uh, check it out. Uh, he had gone on to uh, work as a researcher on the Tube, and the Tube was a uh, you know a, a brilliant um, music TV show in the early eighties, well throughout the eighties, and Channel Four, which seemed to reflect the kind of you know the alternative, slightly dangerous um, uh, ethos of Channel Four, as it was back then. Um, uh, and then in the 90s, he, uh, he worked on The White Room, a uh, little-known TV music uh, TV show from the from the 90s, also on Channel 4. And alongside the alongside that, uh, I've, I've you know working in all kinds of uh, uh, music documentaries and music films. Uh, worked on Tina Turner, a major Tina Turner documentary. Um, but to my main interest, he yeah he became uh, he inherited uh, Top of the Pops. And uh, heralded what I would argue was uh, its its last great hurrah. Um, 
So, you know, the the, the man has worked with uh, many, many... Uh, just a, uh, a vast array of artists. Some of them absolute heroes. Some of them um, uh, interesting characters that I'd be quite curious to hear the stories behind and uh, how 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 he navigated certain egos uh, as a as a producer. Um, and also, he's just somebody that uh, I've noticed uh, pop up on various. Yeah, I'm I'm an avid consumer of um, I'm a devourer of music documentaries and. Kind of you know British culture sort of documentaries, and he always uh, he always seems to be popping up as, as a talking head, full of um, uh, gripping stories and great anecdotes about about you know the UK music TV industry. Um, not letting the demise of Top of the Pops uh, uh, get in the way, he's now um, heavily involved in live recording, so quite involved in uh, utilizing the latest technology to record live music acts, which I think is really interesting. Using 8K uh, cameras and and the like. He's a director of video games. He has also directed um, uh, West End uh, musicals. He was involved in the Dusty uh, West End show, I believe. Um, so yeah, he's um, uh, he's got his fingers in many pies, but also I think at at his heart and at his core, he's just a music fan, and that's uh, that's something I think you know um, perhaps has kept him going for throughout the throughout the kind of many many the. the the tumultuous evolution of music, you know, I think uh, just being a fan, which is, you know, uh, which is what I am as well, and uh, what you guys are li- and, and you guys are listening, uh, you you all are as well, right? <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, so uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. Stick around. This is this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be a cracker. Um, Hedgehog sticks number numbers. Hedgehog sticks chats number sixteen uh, with uh, Chris Cowie. Take it away. Absolute pleasure for you to join me um, and uh, agree to uh, give up an hour of your time for little old me. It's good to it's good to be here, Tom. I'm intrigued and um, I'm looking forward to being hedonistic. Sorry, heads on sticks. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, well, I think I'll introduce you by uh, your official LinkedIn. So, uh, so we got exec ex- uh, exec producer, TV, live, music, online, gaming. Theatre and Groover. Yeah, that 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 just about sums it up, I guess. <laughs> Are you feeling groovy today? I'm always groovy. It's it's a permanent state with me. I'm a Groover. What can I tell you? Yeah, uh, I, I guess you need a, a certain a level of sufficient groove to be able to maybe you know kind of navigate the music uh, industry that you have. Uh, yeah, well, I guess so. I mean, one of um, one of the things that I used to uh, I used to say, you know. Um, if if I was at the BBC and you're sitting around those um, those those big tables uh, discussing programmes, I would say stuff like you know you wouldn't send someone from the Antiques Roadshow to do a documentary about you know ethnic cleansing in the former Yugoslavia, would you? <laughs> no, of course not. Said so why do you have light entertainment 
heads um, trying to make music TV programs. You know, um, you, you've got to you've got to be a groover. You know, if 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 you don't know your subject, you shouldn't be doing it. And um, I, I'm a lifelong music fan, um, and uh, and I think it's just really important that if you're going to make music programs and you're going to bask in the reflected glory of some talented people, mm. um, uh, you know, giving whether it's giving great hit record or giving great album track or or or, or giving you know um, obscure drum and bass remix, um, the the least you should do is is know your subject and respect it and treat it with a bit of love because if the people who are making the tv programs don't love it and don't understand it and don't get it how do you expect the audiences to so yeah that's one of my big kind of table bashing things so you know while while saying <laughs> while um, uh, saying i'm a groover is a bit tongue-in-cheek it's actually it, it's actually true and it's very important no i i, I totally uh wholeheartedly uh uh, stand by that do you you know uh, i believe you're in your early 60s and do you to this day do you ever still consider yourself a little bit of an outsider you're in these board meetings you're in you're having project meetings do you still sort of feel like oh hang on i'm the i'm the music fan from Sunderland. yeah I, I mean kind of a little bit you know i think i think everybody's got sort of imposter syndrome and uh, and you know they're certain times and and in certain places that I've worked um including the BBC occasionally there's there's a lot of of you know what I would call very posh kids you know um and you know I don't want to kind of hear the Hovis music playing in the background but I'm the son of a miner from Durham and there weren't that many people um certainly in in the kind of more elevated positions of of running a flagship show like top of the pops or or in the senior management positions there weren't that many people who who came from that kind of background you know they were they were mostly what i would call posh kids uh you know a lot of them really really for you don't get me wrong i'm not being an inverted snob there's a lot of them are um, uh, you know, were and still are fantastic broadcasters, really good at their job. Um, uh, some of them incredibly nice people, but but they were they were different. And and you know, yes, of course, you know, I, I still I still you know, hopefully sound like I'm from Sunderland, except when I go back there and people say, "Where you're from?" Like um, uh, because you know, my accent. I've lived in London for a long time now, and my accent has kind of, I suppose, changed and moderated over the years, like it does. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know, not not really an, an outsider, just, you know, maybe just a little bit kind of different. Uh, and, and I think that's good. You know, I think I think in the media, you know, diversity is important, you know, and, and, I, and I'm talking about, you know, um, uh, women, uh, people of different cultures and different backgrounds and different skin color and and and, you know, People with disabilities. I think it's important that all that is represented, you know, right across the board in in everything we do. Um, but it's always been like that, you know, because I was one of those kind of, you know, rough northern oiks kicking at the door trying to get into that, you know. Mm. Um, so so you know, it's nice to retain. I, I hope a little bit of individuality, but at the same time. Um, you know, a lot of people who work in the media become kind of indoctrinated into that, you know, and, and, and you start off, you know, like politicians, you start off being on, on that side and want to kick the door down and then you get through that side and you just get all comfortable and relaxed and you become, 
you become one of them. But um, no, I, so yeah, individual maybe rather than an outsider. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Um, I did listen to the, uh, and you'll have to forgive me, I forgot um, the station, but uh, there was a there was a mixed cloud radio show that you had participated oh, on, totally right. wired radio. Yes, yes, TWR. That um, uh, yeah, Eddie Pillar's radio station, who uh, who ran Acid Jazz, um, and uh, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was quite fun, as I remember. Yeah, well, basically, uh, there's always one question that I always ask everybody on my podcast, and because I'm always interested by it. But you already answered it, so I'm going to sort of tweak it a little bit. But I know, well, I seem to remember you saying that your earliest musical memory uh, was watching the Beatles uh, on TV. Is that right? Yeah, I was um, when when I was I mean, I was like literally a toddler, you know, I was probably about three or four years old. But um, I, I've got an older brother and sister. My sister Liz um, was a Beatles fan because she was like, um, uh, if I was like three or four, she'd have been kind of 12, 13. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the Beatles, this is the first thing I remember is the Beatles were on TV. And my sister, you know, little black and white TV in the corner of the room. And my sister was like this close to the screen, uh, screaming hysterically with tears running down her cheeks um, because this band were on. And I was like, wow, you know, is that, you know, and maybe maybe that's had some kind of profound effect on me uh, because, you know, of course, like, like uh, you know, like a lot of people, um, certainly people coming from where I'm from, you know, you want to be you want to be a rock star or you want to be a footballer, mm-hmm. um, because that's better than you know coal mines or or for me better than oil rigs, or or you know being in the nick. So um, so yeah, I I I wasn't I don't suppose I had the kind of the 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 patience to really uh, sit and, and, and do a thing with an instrument. So I did the next best thing and, you know, bask in the reflected glory of people with some music musical talent by putting them on the TV. And also I've done, you know, back in the day, I started off, I sort of, um, uh, I, uh, I lied about my age and got a job working in a nightclub in Sunderland um, while I was supposed to be doing A-levels at school. So So that was, you know, that was kind of a bit cheeky, but, you know, it's kind of, in a sense, kind of playing records for people is very similar to putting on music shows for people. You know, mm. if you sequence a bunch of different kinds of music and you're keeping the dance floor full or you're keeping people happy, that's very similar to doing, you know, Top of the Pops or Glastonbury or the White Room or the Brit Awards or whatever, because you're still sequencing a bunch of music you know, and, and, and putting on some kind of a show. Uh, and if you put the music first, then all the telly stuff comes second and, and you know, hopefully kind of makes sense. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it, actually. I'd never thought of that. Yeah, so you're, you're, um, you're arranging an arc, aren't you, with the, I guess, with the... Um, exactly. With you, well, with who you play at the Sunderland, I believe the Sunderland Mecca, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I suppose in trying, but uh, but uh, analogous to that is, uh, you know, how you arrange your guests on the white on the white room, uh, how you how you put that exactly. together, how do you sequence that? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's uh, it's very similar. And I mean, you know, that that that's you know the Sunderland Mecca thing. Although you know, you're, you're standing there playing records, you know, like a pen in the arse DJ. Um, uh, and at that time, you know, there was very little in the way of in the way of mixing. You know, I used to sometimes kind of crash mix records back to back. But um, 
uh, that was, uh, I mean, it was, it was an amazing learning curve because it was a huge ballroom. And um, uh, Monday night would be what the, the Mecca calls sophisticated singles night, but we called it grab a granny night. Um, where you played uh, basically the kind of music they hear on Strictly Come Dancing. You'd play um, uh, fox trots, waltzes, quick steps, cha chas, tangos, and rumbas uh, from about seven thirty until eleven at night, and then uh, they would really kind of freak out and let their hair down to the likes of ABBA and Brotherhood of Man, you know, and kind of, kind of, you know, pop Eurovision kind of sounding. Mm stuff um uh, and then kind of tuesday wednesday thursday there'd often be party nights friday was rock night um and then saturday would be kind of jazz funk soul so it you know it really kind of ticked all my boxes because because you know although although i'm a great lover of, of, of what you'd call rock music i guess in quote marks you know and and that ranges from you know i sort of I, after graduating for the Beatles, from the beatles i discovered kind of t-rex and that led me in the deep purple you know so i was a heavy metal fan by the time i was about 12 um and then i kind of discovered motown and james brown you know so i had all these kind of different influences and for me really there's only there's only two types of music. There's good music and there's rubbish music, I'll say. Um, uh, you can say you what know, you like on this podcast, by the way. Uh, uh, yeah, bollocks music. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing, you know, the, the kind of only thing that, that I do find a bit irritating and a bit disheartening is when something is kind of purely manufactured, you know, when it's really, when it's really false, when it's really a facade, when you when you're basically selling a marketing concept alone, uh, rather than selling something that's that's you know genuinely musical and has come from, you know, a bunch of people with a desire to entertain people. But you know, you've got to live in the real world. You know, uh, the, the, the white room when I did that was all about good music, doing stuff like Top of the Pops you have to kind of make compromises. And, you know, I always used to say about Top of the Pops, if, if you liked everything, if you watched an episode of Top of the Pops and you liked everything on it, you needed therapy um, because you shouldn't like everything on it. You know, you should argue about things. You know, I remember as a kid arguing, you know, with my family about, about you know, you know, sometimes you'd, you'd, you'd you know, there'd be arguments about about somebody's sexuality because they had long hair or they were wearing an outrageous costume. Um, you know, you'd argue about the music and, and, and its various styles, you know, and, and, and that's that's the the beauty and the joy, I think, of, of pop music is that it should be a broad church and there should be a little bit of everything and people should not always agree about it. Yeah, and um, I... Those uh, there was a, there was a series of top of the pops documentaries which I devoured. Uh, it was um, I don't know that you were in it uh, quite a bit, but the um, that would take a year. The story of yeah, the story of ninety. Yeah, I, I was in I was in ninety seven, ninety eight, and ninety nine. It'll be interesting to see if the Meg two thousand up to two thousand and five because that's kind of it died after that. So it'll be interesting to see if they do that again um, next year if they do the next tranche. But yeah, I thought I thought they were. They were very well-made shows. I mean, I, w I was on them, but didn't have anything to do with making them. Well, um, I'm just saying, because I, I know that um, when uh, it came into discussing your your tenure at Top of the Pops, you know, that you, and you had talked about how it was really important for you that there was a kind of lively discussion in the family unit when you're watching Top of the Pops. And I think, uh, I think 
it made me think about when I watched Top of the Pops and I consider my uh, my my youth, uh, youth uh, my childhood and my sort of early teens. Um, I consider that to be sort of like uh, I kind of feel like I was the last generation where Top of the Pops mattered, and that was during your that was during your management of you know, your your direction and production of Top of the Pops. But what 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 kind of what made what it made me think of it made me think of me, uh, my my sister, my mum and dad, and then subsequently my stepdad. Look at watching the top 20 being counted down going good, bad, yeah, good, bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. And I used to do I used to do exactly the same as mm. a kid. Uh, and I think, you know, and, and that's that's important, you know, that you, you understand the, the whole thing and you understand what's exciting about the show. Um, you know, I, I wanted to make a lot of changes to it. I wanted to do it live on a Sunday. Um, I wanted Top of the Pops to reveal the new chart. Um, and I wanted, most importantly, I wanted to commission a new chart that wasn't just based on singles, because singles as a format, you know, I mean, most people would be saying, singles, what are they? Um, and at the time, I think, um, uh, and this is kind of 2003, when, when, when I left Top of the Pops, when, when the BBC and I left each other, um, uh, sing, uh, albums were outselling singles by about six to one. So what I wanted to do was to try and make a chart that was a genuine amalgamation, uh, an aggregation, if you like, of wherever people were buying music, whether it was downloads, um, you know, whether it was cassettes, air track cartridges, you know, you name it, uh, MP3s, anything, doesn't matter. But as long as people were buying the music, including albums, and if you know if an album has, let's say, eight tracks on it, but one of them is a single for that week, you divide the album sales by eight and add that to it, so you've got a genuine total of, mm -hmm. of you know what people are getting into the most, um, and, and let people decide for themselves. You know, and in that respect, top of the pops when it started. You know, first uh, of January nineteen sixty four was was the first show done from Manchester. Um, it was really the first genuinely interactive show that people voted for because they voted for it by buying the record or not. Um, and I think that's kind of a you know that's a really really interesting, fascinating format. Um, and and you know people tried to kind of mess around with it too much, but I think I think there's you know there's still a lot of brilliant music around, you know, you can often be fooled that there isn't by, by the stuff that, 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 you know, often gets played on mass media, but there's always loads of brilliant stuff around. If, if we can get off our behinds and, and, and try and find it, it's, it's all, you know, and people will always talk about their era of music was great. You know, it's the kind of taxi driver syndrome. You get in a cab and, and there's, you know, they're all saying music's not what it used to be, mate, is it? You know, Back in a dime when he had a Beatles, you know I, that's bollocks. There's always brilliant music around. You've just got to look for it, and and you know the the kind of democratization of music, if you like, via the digital revolution and the internet, is a really good thing. But it makes it so much more diffuse and more difficult to to find the stuff. And I think a good music program should be like should be like a kind of smorgasbord. You know, it's a list of really good recommendations. Top of, the, top of the Pops, if you like, was an influencer. Um, 
and, and that was a very important part of of what it did. Uh, and you know, there's life in the old dog yet. I think there's still there's still there's still a really good music format out there. Well, maybe in here, um, you know. Of course, it would be preposterous that that you know a middle aged bloke would be would be choosing a bunch of tunes for the nation's youth to listen to. You know, I don't have to do that. You can get you can get people involved to do that. But I think the format and having the kind of skill and being able to take the viewer by the hand and guide them through it mm. and try and give them a little help, you know, and, and, and big up the stuff that they do know and try and help point them in the right direction with stuff that they don't know. I think that's an important thing that television right now has ducked. You know, they've got karaoke talent shows, which are covering other people's songs. But in 10 years' time, and we're already beginning to find it now, what are those people going to cover? You know, you can't just have people doing impersonations of people forever because all you'll be left with is the impersonators and you'll have no stars. My worry about a lot of those karaoke pop shows is that they won't they, they won't ever, ever come up with a David Bowie. Um, they won't even come up with a suite, you know. They probably won't even come up with Judas Priest, you know. That they and 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 that's my worry. I think there are there are some great talents out there, but it's kind of gone back to the fifties where it's all about a singer being mm. famous, and and you've got so you've got a singer over there, and you've got musicians over there, and you've got a Svengali writing the tunes and making all the money over there. Yeah. And that's what used to happen in the 50s. It, it's kind of, you know, we need to have another revolution, you know, like the Beatles and the beat boom, like punk was, like like hip hop has been uh, as well, you know. And, and that was, the, for me, kind of kind of uh, hip hop and, and, and British R&B, uh, uh, you know, and along with their, 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 you know, cousins, their grandchildren, if you like, uh, uh, grime and stuff. Um, I think that was the last big, decent musical revolution, and I think we're due another one. You think it's, um, yeah, I think like you're, like you're talking about how, you know, um, the music community, the, the fandom and the community has become fragmented. It has become, there's definitely community. I mean, you know, my God, you know, there's, 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 there's certainly communities, but there's pockets of communities rather than, um, huge sweeping chain, you know, revolutions of music. You know, could a Bowie happen? And I don't just mean because that there isn't the talent. There absolutely is, but could could somebody command that that same kind of pop cultural monolith? Yeah, I I think I think it's possible because um, the live music sector has has uh, has been flourishing lately. Um, I do think that we have to make it e easier for people to put on gigs um, in, in pubs, you know, the, the, the kind of, you know, and I don't blame the police for it um, because, you know, the, the, the police, the police forces have been kind of cut down so much that, you know, it seems that every time there's a potential new gig, they'll object to it for whatever reason. Um, so I think, I think more gigs, you know, back in the day, there used to be youth clubs and then there'd be pub gigs and then there'd be university gigs, which I believe um, stepped forward Margaret Thatcher for putting the kibosh on that one because there used to be kind of students' unions used to get a grant to be able to put that kind of entertainment on. Yeah. Um, and, and so once you pull that out, then there's a whole kind of house of cards falls down. And, you know, I don't want to be left with, with you know, kind of big stadium bands and and a few kind of tribute acts, you know, uh, because because the 
the talent, the musical talent that is out there um, in terms of, you know, musicians and singers and songwriters and performers, I think deserves better than that. So I think it's partly up to us in, 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 if you like, the mass media, in quote marks, to create that shop window. But, you know, it's no use standing bitching on the sidelines saying, you know, I don't like the X Factor or whatever, um, or I don't like Eurovision, you know, whether whether I like it or not, that it's, it's up to me to come up with something better that a lot of people will watch. You know, where do you go? Where do you go for your music? Where where do you go? How do you discover your uh, uh, the the music that's out there? Well, I kind of you know it, it depends. I'll you know I'll seek out I'll seek out gigs. You know if there's if there's something that I think is exciting. Fortunately, in London, that you know there's still there's still quite a lot of gigs and and, and bars and, and places where you can where you can find good acts playing. Um, you know, if there's someone that I love, I, I you know I'll go to a kind of a, a, a theatre gig or a club gig or whatever. I, I I don't mind I don't mind doing big multi-camera shoots at Wembley Stadium or somewhere like that. But that's not my favourite kind of gig to go to. Yeah. If, if you're going to go to a great big arena like that and, and basically watch something on a big screen, that's kind of you know you might as well do that at home. You know, I don't I don't. I mean, there are things like like when when you do uh, uh, Glastonbury, which which I used to do the telly for, but I've enjoyed it much more when I haven't been and I've been there as a punder. And you go around all the little tents and the little stages, and you and you look at you know kind of alternative things, and then you might come back down to the other stage and say I don't know the Chemical Brothers or something do a big thing, and then you go after the little jazz tent or whatever. You know that's always a good way of 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 finding stuff. I also, you know, I, I listen to a lot of radio and I'll kind of jump around different radio stations and listen to podcasts on BBC Sounds. I'll absolutely hammer Spotify, uh, which is a <laughs> mixture of, you know, all, all the old all the old vinyl and stuff that I've already got. But, uh, you know, sometimes you can't be bothered. Uh, and, you know, I, and I'll find new stuff on Spotify, not with Spotify recommendations. I really resent it when they say, if you like that, you'll like this, because it's, it's it's you know it's probably a bot that's doing that and clearly their bot has has iffy taste sometimes you know because just because you like x doesn't mean this for me doesn't necessarily follow that you you like a pale imitation of the same thing so yeah i, I like digging around and, and, and listening to, to some new stuff on spotify you know I'll, I'll dig around and find music wherever it is i think that's the thing isn't it you know if you love music and you're still enthused by music you'll find it yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and you know it's kind of um, I, I often I, I go to a pub quite a lot where there's a, where there's a digital jukebox which I kind of you know play because it's got like everything on it. Mm -hmm. I play a lot of stuff, and, um, and and with my mates, I'll sometimes uh, I'll sometimes play um, beat the sound hound because uh, you know they'll go what's this, and before they can search it, I'll tell them what it is. But also, you know, I, if I'm going around, you know, I could be in a shop, in a department store, uh, wherever, and, and I'll hear a bit of music and I'll hammer Soundhound and go, you know, what is that? And put it on a Spotify playlist, collect them all up for a few weeks and then just kind of binge listen to them all and say, 
oh, why did I like that? You know, I must I must have been relaxing pretty hard at the time when I like that. Or like, wow, you know, this is amazing. This, you know, this sounds like some kind of amazing fusion of stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, I I'm still I'm still you know a, an avid collector, but you know, un, un, unlike back in the time when I was doing Top of the Pops, you know, I can't I can't pretend to kind of speak for a generation of people. You know, that would that would clearly be be daft but but i can i can help to create the entity that does that sure and i think as well you know um the love of music is universal right so if you can inject uh god honest enthusiasm for music and the music you know community and, and, and climate then that's half the work right mm, absolutely absolutely it is and, and you know it's kind of um, you know, music is universal, and I've got I've got a son who's who's kind of in his mid twenties, and he'll be quite often playing stuff that that is um, that is you know really cool stuff, and I'll go, oh, that's brilliant. Do you know where the original sample comes from? And then I'll play him some kind of old school stuff, and he'll get into that, and then he'll play me some new, you know. So it's great mm-hmm. to kind of bounce it around like that. Um, and and he's in the he's in a really kind of cool music as well. Um, my my daughter, um, who, who's a bit older, uh, she's in her early thirties. She she's a big fan of kind of death metal, uh, which is hilarious because she's a teacher in a secondary school and she's got a little boy. But but she's you know she kind of loves all this all this kind of death metal nonsense, which you know I find hilarious. Um, I, in fact, I think I might try and record some of it myself. I've got the voice right. If I can do the kind of you know the, the kind of the, the shouty voice and the thrash, the scowling howl, so, yeah. Um, how 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 metal do you go? How how metal do you go? I I did read an interview with you where you mentioned Venom. <laughs> yeah, I I mean Venom are from Newcastle and, yeah. and did some we did some stuff. You know, it, it, when you're from the northeast of England, metal is kind of hard to avoid. Good metal's great, bad metal's awful. I think yeah, I think metal is one of those genres where if it's bad, it's really bad. But if it's good, it can be it can be it be quite amazing actually. Yeah, I mean you know I mean bands bands that you know people I guess would argue that 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 aren't metal. You know, there's bands like the Foo Fighters that I absolutely adore. You know, I kind mm-hmm. of um, I I'll still regularly listen to listen to Foo Fighters now. And and sort of you know kind of new stuff which is really sort of I suppose poppy metal like Wolf Alice and, and stuff like that you know I, I kind of you know it's it's uh, um, uh, White Stripes you know I'll kind of I'll enjoy a lot of that stuff but but kind of metal for the sake of it I I, I think it's I think it's good not to get stuck in too much of a genre you know don't get stuck in a silo. Because you can find amazing, gorgeous things all over the place. You know that there are there are tracks. You know tracks that I listen to. You know the Beatles, for example. I would argue made the first ever heavy metal record with Helter Skelter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know Jeff Beck, who who sadly died just recently. You know, absolutely stunning, amazing guitarist who kind of turned into. You know, I mean, probably the world's best guitar player bar none. Turned into in the kind of amazing kind of jazz rock funk, but he still used to turn out tracks which were way heavier and way more metallic than anybody trying to do quote unquote heavy metal. You know, mm-hmm. you you can find you can find gorgeous stuff all over the place. And I and I like to be surprised by that little kind of you know left field thing, you know, something something that that, that comes comes from where you least expect it. Um, 
but you know, kind of comedy show group heavy metal like is not is not my thing. <laughs> Go back to the late seventies. So I know that as a teenager, you um, uh, you joined Check It Out, which was uh, broadcast. Um, I guess you could say in tandem with Tony Wilson's uh, So It Goes. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, yeah. I guess the, yes, it was about the same time. I, I think um, it, it's it's what it's hard for people to kind of realize what the climate was at the time. But in television, there were children's programs. And then everything after that was like really grown up. Mm. So, you know, it, it was until until kind of six o'clock when the news came on, everything before that was was children's shows. And I mean, like, you know, all, you know, Teletubby style things, you know, Magic yeah. Roundabout. Um, uh, and then after that, it was all kind of Coronation Street, EastEnders, you know, so so it was all grown up after that and, mm. and there was nothing in between. So so me and a whole load of other people at the time, I mean, my my kind of, my my sort of gurus in, in the business were a woman called Andrea Wonford and a bloke called Malcolm Gerry, who, who, you know, who were the people who employed me. You know, I was I was a kid. I was a, I was a, um, a an unreconstructed uh, Mackham, um, who, who, you know, spoke with a very, very broad accent, had incredibly long hair, and and loved music, and they kind of picked up on on that um, uh, and, and said, you know, we're doing this teenage magazine program, you know, which was uh, all sorts of subjects like, you know, uh, uh, all, all sorts of stu- subjects that were relevant to teenagers, like you know, skin problems, um, uh, 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 contraception. Uh, getting a job and uh, oh hey, hey kids here's a band you know he was kind of he was kind of a bit like that and and I think a lot of people you know Janet Street Porter um, on BBC Two and um, and people like Tony Wilson and uh, a guy called Mike Bolland who who commissioned the tube on Channel Four were all kind of trying to make. Um, uh, youth programs, you know, some of them you look back on them now, uh, including some of the ones that I made, and they're kind of laughable. I mean, there was one doing the rounds recently about when I'm, I'm kind of telling people how to deal with a nuclear war, which yeah. at the time uh, it sounds crazy, at the time was a real threat. And I had, I had some very ill-advised children's TV presenter kind of um, uh, denim dungarees on and, and you know, and I'm saying, you know, and, and you know, you dive under the bed and cover yourself up with, you know, whatever. Um, but but at the time, you know, nuclear war was kind of, you know, it was, it was a threat. Sadly, it's kind of looking like it's become a bit of a threat again. Um, but, but those, you know, those were the kind of things that we did. We kind of grasped the nettle and tried to do things that were genuinely going to help young people rather than, you know, rather than, yeah. and and something that they would feel was theirs rather than belong to their parents or was too too childish for them to watch. It was that middle ground. The weird thing is that by doing that, you sometimes kind of um, you sometimes kind of d- destroy what it is you're trying to make. You know, as soon as as soon as a teenager feels like they're targeted, it's kind of a bit. It's a bit. It's a bit of an odd thing. Sure, yeah, and how and you know, uh, I think it's interesting that it's regional. It was regional TV, so Time T is TV, uh, you know, and I think it's interesting that that was happening, uh, and also you know, uh, uh, an indirect platform for quite interesting bands as well. 
Uh, I mean, obviously, we I, I won't ask you to tell the story about John Lydon. That's been that's been told to death. But as an example, you know, your the your encounter with uh, Public Image Limited. But I mean, you know, the I think it's interesting that was re- that was happening in, in a kind of region regional TV, but not not nationally. Uh, kind of ahead of the curve. It, it was it was ahead of the curve, you know, um, and and the people, you know, me and and the production team who made that stuff. We were music fans first, and I suppose we were um, uh, uh, enjoying, you know, basking in in youth culture in all its kind of forms. Mm. We were we were all of that first and foremost, and television people second. Uh, you know, a lot of the traditional sort of television types really hated all that stuff. I mean, actively, you know, had had people you know, campaigning against it and, and, and getting very upset and very hot under the collar because, you know, they thought that, that somehow by doing this, we were going to corrupt the youth, the, the nation's youth, you know, sure. which is, of course, is, is, is balmy. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, you know, it's, it's hard to watch it now without having a bit of a smirk. Um, uh, but in its time, it, it was groundbreaking, and and music, you know, it wasn't it wasn't really just tokenism. It was it was great. I used to love, you know, going around all the all the pubs and clubs and bars of of the northeast. <laughs> of course, I did, um, and and finding a lot of a lot of new talent uh, and and giving them that TV platform, and of course, it, it was it was doing that. Um, that really that's what gave birth to the tube because by the time Channel 4 came about and, and they were looking for people to make music programs, um, by the time that came about, we had an expertise in that. Uh, and we were also, you know, kind of, I suppose, relatively youthful and rebellious. And so without doing stuff like Check It Out, we wouldn't have been able to do the tube. Sure. Tell me the music. What, what was the music TV? I don't mean MTV, but I mean the the, the UK music TV climate. What what was that when the when the when the tube launched? Well, it was. I mean, the tube uh, MTV started in the same year as the tube, actually in 1982. But but uh, then MTV was in, you know, maybe forty thousand homes. You know, it was mm. tiny. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was. It was kind of massive in America. And a huge revolution in America, but meant diddly squat over here. Um, and when we started the tube, it was a reaction against two things. The really the only two proper music shows on TV were Top of the Pops, which at the time looked more like um, Top Shop Window, you know, with with you know people in rah rah skirts and and you know waving pom poms like cheerleaders, and that was just the blokes. Um, and it was very, it, you know, it was very false. Everything was mimed, completely backing track. All the audience looked choreographed and herded around, and it just all looked really false. Um, and and you know, very very poppy and very safe and and done like painting by numbers. On the other hand, you had the old grey whistle test, which in it, you know, in its time, it, it did some great great stuff, but. 
at that time in the early 80s, it seemed particularly old and grey. And, you know, it was kind of, it was dad rock and not even necessarily good dad rock. It was kind of more like, I think yacht rock is, is, is quite a, quite a popular term for it these days. Um, and, and it just felt a bit boring. And so what, essentially what we tried to do with the tube, and I think mostly succeeded, is we wanted to recreate the excitement of a gig in a television studio. Mm. And we did that by having a real audience, a, a live audience, um, and, and not trying to control them too much um, within the bounds of health and safety, of course. Um, and having bands play live, and the show was also live to air. So it was it was risky. We used to leave, you know, we'd almost deliberately leave little windows in, in the running order where we knew for a fact that things might just fall apart or go very close to the edge. And that was really exciting. We used to call them Kinell points because you'd go, Kinell, what was that? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of that went on. Um, and, of course, you know, uh, the, the presenters, Jules Holland and Paul Yates, were, were you know, they, they were kind of the same. You know, they were deliberately amateurish, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not, not kind of slick, um, you know, perfectly scripted introductions. It was deliberately a bit sloppy, um, which, which was great. And, and it worked. And of course, you know, it, a, a lot of people complained about it, um, uh, but also it was massively successful with the audience that it was, that was intended for. And you have to say, you know, certainly at that time, um, a, a big hats off and a big thumbs up to Channel Four, who gave us the freedom to fail. You know, we we pitched, we pitched um, a, a series of six hour and uh, no, we pitched a series of six half hour music and chat programs, mm-hmm. um, uh, and they said, uh, "Oh, you know, we love your ideas, we love what you want to do, but we want you to do." Um, 26 hour and 45 minute shows live, which was uh, amazing. I'm going to introduce you to a rather remarkable man. I'm going to introduce you to a rather remarkable man. I'm going to introduce you to a rather remarkable man. Right, top of the pops. So um, you're quoted as describing your your time as the executive producer and director of Top of Pops as being when it wasn't shit. Now, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'll admit to probably saying that. Yeah, well, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna probe you on that. Is, is that quite true? Because I, 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 I get the because I understand with Top of the Pops uh, in the early nineties, it, it got a bit, it got a bit unsure of itself. It didn't quite know how to handle the, um, the boom in electronic music and the sort of DJs and they didn't quite know how to handle that. And what ended up happening is you had a bunch of bored looking dudes behind decks with some dancers and it just it was just a bit stolter it was stale wasn't it uh but then but, but i do think uh Britpop seemed to inject some relevancy into top of the pops uh which maybe uh set the stage for your entrance into top of the pops is that fair to say yeah uh, yeah it did i mean i was kind of i suppose i i was equally blessed and cursed in a way because i started in 97 and and Britpop had kind of already peaked by then, mm. although there were still a lot of great bands around. Um, also, 
um, the Spice Girls had already peaked by then, although they were still around. So, so, so you know, the, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't lucky enough to have, you know, um, uh, Spice Girls' first few singles uh, in my tenure or the kind of Blur Oasis battle. But for me, what I wanted to do was to try and get as many people as possible to to play completely live or at the very least sing live. Because, and, and honestly, you know, some people kind of disagree that, that that's a good thing. Um, uh, Jarvis Cocker, for instance, I think, and, and I do understand this point of view, he said when he watched Top of the Pops, he wanted it to sound exactly like it did on the record. And I do kind of, you know, I do kind of get that. But, you know, you could hear that anywhere. You know, you could watch videos, which I kind of got rid of videos. I wanted everybody to be in the studio and I wanted them to be as live as, as I possibly could. I wouldn't ban anyone, but um, I, I, I wanted them to perform in the studio the way they would perform in front of people. And if that meant doing a massive dance routine and, and, and doing a bit of lip sync, then that was okay. But I wanted, you know, I wanted it to, to be live. Um, I also kind of really abolished all the rules. There was a lot of rules about if something was going up the chart, it couldn't be played two weeks in a row or, or it, they never played anything that was going down the chart. And, and, you know, I used to make the program often despite the chart rather than because of it, um, because it, it's about, for me, it was about creating something that had a little bit of everything, you know, a bit of dance music, a bit of rock music, maybe a bit of Americana, um, uh, you know, maybe some soul, some hip hop. Some electronica, you know, a little bit, a little bit of everything. So, so diversity was always really important. And sometimes, you know, no matter how good the tunes are, if you know, if if you're in, if you're in a great club, and and you know, you can be listening to some banging house tunes in a in a very relaxed state, that music might be fantastic. But as you say, quite often it's not really all that impressive if you've got two knob twiddlers be, behind a desk. I mean, I do also think that it's up to us as, 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 you know, television creatives, if you like, to make that stuff look good, you know. And I, and I did used to kind of uh, play around and got a few sort of traditional refuseniks to, um, to, 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 to um, come on the show when they didn't previously appear on the show. Um, uh, but, but, yeah, it, it's, you know, when... I mean, I, I, I did sort of jokingly say, um, um, I, I, in fact, I still sometimes say I did Top of the Pops when it was good. And that's because we, me and the team really cared about it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and we thoroughly enjoyed making it. And we wanted to recreate that thing where, as we talked about earlier, where there was some kind of debate um, with the audience watching it, you know, you, you should you shouldn't like everything on it. You should have some wow moments, but you should want to watch it because the next thing that's on might just be brilliant. It might be your favorite thing ever. And and what it did is it, it turned the ratings around because you know it it's the week before I started doing it, it had dropped below two million viewers for the first time ever, and I got it up to five and a half million. By 
just by being a music fan and just and just by having having a, a broad diet of music and making the show feel a bit more dynamic. I also cut the presenters down. You know, there used to be a lot of a lot of waffle on the show, so I, I cut that right down, and that meant that I would put another act in there. So where there used to always be seven acts on, I, I made it eight by by uh, cutting everything else down a bit. So um, so yeah, it, you know, it, it worked for a while, but. But, you know, after I'd been doing it kind of five or six years, and, and I mean, one of the other things that, that worked really well is, is it was never sold anywhere else abroad. It was never sold internationally. And because I'd just been making the Brit Awards and, and, and the record, I got the record companies to agree that we could sell it. So it, was, it went from zero to, um, I think it was in 126 countries um, within yeah. about nine months. Um, but by making it more modular, you know, so so there was, you know, there were studios, identical studios with identical title sequences in in Hamburg, in Paris, in Spain, in the, all over the place, South Africa, Australia. Um, so that was that was one of the big important things that helped me to be able to get better acts on because people would want to do it because they would know that they'd be potentially getting global exposure uh, mm. by doing it. But um, yeah, I, I do. I do jokingly say um, uh, when it was good, uh, and, and you know, it needed. But by the time I left, it it really needed an overhaul. I wanted to go that way, and the BBC wanted to go that way. So I, I politely told them that we weren't going to play together anymore. Right, uh, not entirely amicable. Um, no, it was it was amicable. Amicable. It was just a difference of opinion. Yeah. They, you know, I wanted to have a new chart. They said it had to be the official chart. I said it's only the official chart because of the patronage of Radio One on top of the pops. And they wanted to turn it back into a kids' karaoke pop show. I said that's a really dumb thing to do because top of the pops is not about one narrow sliver of an audience. It's about a really broad audience from from five to ninety five, mm. and they want to turn it in, into into a kind of a, a you know mm-hmm. a boy band show, I suppose, which I you know I I, I believed was a mistake, and I said um, if if you're going to go down that route, um, you're going to be looking for um, a new show within six months, and you're going to be looking for a new executive producer and director within about six minutes. Um, so so that was that was kind of that was kind of how it ended. You know, they just. They didn't have the same ambitions for it as I as I did, so um, so yeah, so we 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 agreed to disagree and and, and part of company. Yeah, um, and you know when I when I, when I cast my mind back to the top of the pops and I consider that sort of two thousand three around that time and then the sort of uh, that reboot it it had, uh, it did seem to all of a sudden not matter, and I'm not I'm not just saying this to. You know, blow smoke on me, ass. No, no, I'm really not. I'm really not. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Like, you know, and I think, uh, 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 I, I think that's, just, I think that's the consensus, right? That's, that's the kind of re- retrospective consensus. It, it just seemed to not, yeah, and, matter and, anymore. And do you know what? That kind of seeing, seeing the ratings fall through the floor, and and you know, critical acclaim and and, and everything else, and, and and ultimately its demise really didn't give me any pleasure you know I, I, you know of course there was part of me going i told you so but it, it was it was really sad and i i think you know i i refer to it as a bit of cultural vandalism because they killed it right at the wrong time uh b- because it, it you know it could have been it 
you know, Top of the Pops could have been Spotify. You know, mm. it could have been it could have been that. That that certainly was was the ambition that I had for it. You know, Spotify of course didn't exist at the time, but you know, it, it could have been a show that you know really parked its tank on the lawn of of what the music business is now. You know, the whole kind of digital revolution, top of the pops, could have, should have, would have been at the vanguard of that. And importantly, what it what it was for me most importantly was a trusted guide. People trusted the show. People knew it was kicking in the right direction. People got a sense that the people that were curating it knew what they were doing uh, uh, and were on their side and cared about the music. And for me, that was that was the most important thing. And that's a very, a very, very delicate target to hit. And 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 you you've got to really take a lot of love and care over that. Um, uh, but um, you know, uh, there's. As I say, there. I think there's still probably going to be a chance of a, you know, son of top of the pops. Of course, it won't be called son of top of the pops, but something that fills that void at least partly. And uh, watch this space is is all I can say about that really at the moment. And uh, uh, maybe um, you know, maybe you you. A few months down the line, you'll be getting some kind of exclusive scoop on it. Hey, I'm all ears. I'm all ears. Was was the end of Top of Pops inevitable? Oh, no, definitely not. I mean, you know, if if you think about it, um, people love a list, you know. People love a ranking, um, you know. People love looking at the at the Premier League table at the end of match of the day, you know. Mm-hmm. The Sunday Times rich list, you know, all sorts of things like that. People love a list, it, you know. It doesn't necessarily mean much, you know. It it means that that the band at number one have sold more units this week than the band at number two, or or a hell of a lot more than the band at number twenty. It's kind of it's kind of people with their money for what they think is the best music that particular week. So so that ticks a box. Um, to get to see a lot of famous people um, and well-established acts on a level playing field with brand new acts being given the same TLC, that's kind of nice as well. Mm. And being able to be party, do a load of backstage gossip, which I built the Star Barn while we had you know, kind of top of the pop spin-offs, to be able to have those people meeting and interacting with each other and you get people talking about it now. Oh, you know, so-and-so met so-and-so down at top of the pops and we've been friends ever since, all that kind of stuff. So that's all great. Um, and, you know, it did, it did kind of feel... And need and, and partly because of Top of the Pops and partly because of Radio One, Britain still even now has this unique reputation for music and particularly for music television. Um, and and you know Brits Brits love their music and they love those kind of shows. And I, and I think you know it it could have, of course it would have had to evolve, of course it would have had to adapt. Um, 
one of the problems with it when I when I started doing it is that it stayed the same for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but but in a funny kind of way, what I did was take it right back to what it was originally, which was you know doing exactly what it said on the tin, taking the top acts from the upper echelons of the pop chart, putting them on telly and making them look good and sound good. You know, what it's 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 simple, really. It's it's very simple and straightforward. But you know, it was it was also a definitive show. It was a show of record. You know, in the same way as Match of the Days. You know, you can watch Sky all day. You know, you can see everything you see virtually on Match of the Day between Sky and BT. You can probably you can probably already watch. But people still love to watch Match of the Day because it's an aggregation of stuff that you can just dip into. And even if people were going to just put their elbow in the murky waters of youth culture once a week. They should do it via top of the pops because you're going to see a little bit of everything. You're going to be mm-hmm. be able to see a little bit of everything that's going on, and it, it, you know it's almost a bluffer's guide to music. Um, so, so yeah, I, I definitely think that it 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 could still be going in 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 some way, shape, or form, but it would absolutely have had to adapt and change. But it did, didn't it? That's the thing. It 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 did. It did with. Um, I mean, you know, it's funny that you talk about light entertainment honchos take you know uh, and they're perhaps being misplaced uh, to take over music programs but michael hurl was exactly that wasn't he yeah um yeah i, I mean i i didn't i didn't know him but i i mean he was he was responsible i think for top of the pops when we came up with the tube yeah so you know it was it was clear that that you know we were we were kicking in a very different direction you know um and and you know i i mean i mean no, michael hill did 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 no Lennon's house party and all sorts of stuff like that and the comedy awards i think mm. um so you know that that's that's kind of light entertainment and one of the things about top of the pops historically is it got kind of shunted around a bit you know some people at the bbc thought it was a children's program some people thought it was a light entertainment program um you know and and, and it kind of almost didn't have a home um, and I said, you know, no, it's it's very much a music program. In fact, the day I start, the first thing I had to do is, you know, when you have to write a billing that will go into uh, TV Times and, and be circulated around the newspapers, I um, I wrote a billing saying um, uh, the world's greatest music show is back. And uh, the press office sent it back to me and said, you can't say that. I said, why not? They said, well, it's not necessarily the world's greatest music show. I said, yes, it fucking is. Uh, you know, and if we don't say it, you know, how, how the hell are you meant to get people to watch it? And anyway, don't send any more of my press releases out on children's department letterhead. It's not a children's show. So so I kind of changed the whole kind of press perception of it as well, because, you know, it, it's it's very much a BBC thing to kind of hide, hide your light under a bushel and say, well, I'm sorry for making my humble little show, but here it is. Nah, you've got to shout it from the rooftop. Yeah. Uh, you know, be, be, be. You know, do good marketing, do a bit of promotion. Um, is that something you found that happened a lot? You were fighting um, uh, attitudes that uh, that top of pops was incredible. Yeah, definitely, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and it and it's always a fight because you know, let's face it, a lot of TV isn't credible, and a lot of musicians. Um, and performers, you know, don't like doing it. They, they they do it because they feel they have to and they want to sell records, but it's not something necessarily that they love and enjoy. They think it's a bit of a 
chore. Mm. So, you know, we've almost created a generation now of, of people who basically exist to do it. You know, that, that, that's, that's all they're manufactured for because, you know, they'll have done a dozen TV shows before they've ever performed live in front of people, you know, which is, which is balmy. So, so yeah, it was always, it was always a fight against that, but it was a fight that I won because most of the bands and musicians that we had in knew what I'd done in the past. Um, uh, you know, in terms of uh, stuff like the Tube and, and the White Room and the Brit Awards. And that's what got the BBC to come and poach me to do it in the first place. So so I had, a, you know, a lot of people were on my side in, in, in the music business. And a lot of people, um, uh, you know, supported supported what I did. And, you know, without without the music business, I mean, that's obviously the other thing that's changed. Without the music business, none of these music TV programmes could be made because, you know, I would always insist on, on, on you know, paying the proper rate for musicians. But, you know, regular companies would, would ferry people around and, and would put them up overnight and stuff like that. So, so they used to bear a lot of the cost for it. And, of course, they'd probably pass that cost on to the artists. But yeah, had a you know it was really important to get that relationship with with music business uh, uh, right across the board. So you're you're pouring lots of energy now into um, kind of uh, innovating uh, sort of the, the latest um, uh, fidelity for recording live music. Um, yeah, I mean, I've always banged on about that. That 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 for me, if if you're making music television, then the audio is at least fifty percent of the battle. Um, and you know, what I want to do is is to keep pushing it so that you can make it the best you possibly can, um, uh, audio and video, but also I, I kind of it. I suppose in a in an old dog new tricks kind of way, I always push myself to get into into other stuff. Like I've directed live action in video games, uh, which is which is fascinating because that that's that's a whole that's a whole kind of different ball game. Um, I've done you know three D shoots with bands. Um, uh, I have made a, 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 a I made my kind of directorial West End debut by doing a, a, a kind of an old school sort of jukebox musical with Dusty Springfield, um, which all went wrong in the end. But we created um, 3D holograms because Dusty obviously uh, had died uh, years ago, God bless her. But we created these 3D holograms uh, and, and it was, you know, it was great in the theatre. Uh, it's a bit like ABBA are doing now. Yeah. This was kind of, you know, this was a good few years ago. And these are ideas, Chris. The sophisticated pop artists are your ideas. Yeah, do you know what? It, it's, it's interesting you say that because this, um, this 3D hologram thing uh, was actually used uh, as a as a trick in Victorian theatres. So right. so you know there's 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 nothing new under the sun. And and what Abra are doing is like a really 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 over the top, expensive, very very clever genius version of mm. that. It's been around since since Victorian times. It's all done with mirrors. Um, and you know so I do like to kind of push myself into 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 new areas. And, and what I'm doing right now 
Um, I know you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you <laughs> what I'm doing right now is um, uh, there's a, a new company that we've set up called 1185 Films. Not my idea of, it, uh, of the name of the company, but 1185 refers to the aspect ratio of of film. Uh, you know, like wow. uh, uh, anyway, 1189 is 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 a film aspect ratio. And what I'm doing is is you know there's there's a kind of raft of new ideas and and some partially borrowed ideas that we're about to unleash on you know, and they range from you know kind of quite lucrative corporates working with major brands through. You know, um, uh, you know, a few music type shows and events and mainstream TV stuff, right through the stuff that will appeal to you know the 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 blockbuster streamers like Netflix and Apple Plus and Paramount and, and all the others. So, so there's a big raft of ideas there. Um, they're they're right on the cusp of of commissioning thing. In fact, we're starting at. Um, at the uh, at, at Cannes at the at the festival in a couple of weeks' time. That that's when the kind of the ball starts rolling. So so hopefully there'll be a whole bunch of new stuff, and and hopefully some of it will appeal to you and and the audience that your podcast goes to. So I'm keeping oh, my absolutely. fingers crossed for that. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll, uh, I'll keep them peeled. I'll, I'll be uh, paying uh, close attention to what you're coming up with for sure. Did you tell Ricky Martin to fuck off? Uh, no, not not literally. Um, <laughs> Ricky Martin uh, brought uh, when he when he had the hit with Living La Vida Loca. They were on tour, and uh, I I bent over backwards and and you know yeah um, made a lot of hard work by getting them to bring their entire touring set into mm. the studio, uh, which was great and gorgeous. And he had a, a guy that was his. Um, He's he's oh my god! What do you call them? They are, they have a name, creative director, or you know some some such title. And um, uh, I, I, on the on the high angle camera shot, they had Ricky was standing on this great big kind of Persian rug, and the set and everything was also high tech. The Persian rug just looked stupid, um, especially from a distance because it was kind of a weird color and it just looked like he was standing in a pool of not very nice liquid or something. So I said, um, uh, can we get rid of the Persian rug, please? And the um, the creative director threw an absolute hissy fit right. um, and was going to flounce out and slam the door. And I said, uh, uh, look, can, let me just explain something to you. The rug looks stupid. Now either get rid of the rug or fuck off. Um, and, and he knew that by me saying fuck off, that would have meant Ricky as well. So the rug went. Right. Okay. So, uh, and some clarity on that legend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, you met, you've, you've worked with a lot of people in your life. Who's the one? Who's the one that you you think? Wow. I, I I met I met him and worked with him. And also, who's the one that got away? Um. Okay. Uh, I. I. Yeah. Ones that I work with who were gobsmackingly brilliant and impressive and really warm and friendly and and were a joy to work with and would kind of phone me, um, uh, you know, to ask how I was doing and stuff like that, um, I would say would be David Bowie. Right, wow. And, and Prince, although he was a man of few words. Um, the one that got away, um, I, I never worked with Bob Dylan. Right. Um, and 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 you know, I mean, you know, not the 
best performer in the world, but a genius mm-hmm. uh, and, and very influential. So I would, I would love to have met him, uh, uh, you know, uh, because there was a lot, you know, a lot of people like that I worked with, like Lou Reed, who who were who were brilliant, and and you know, kind of real, real uh, David Byrne as well, who were who were kind of masters of, of what they did. Um, uh, and and you know, very few of them. I've always said that you, there's a direct correlation between the best people are usually the most talented ones, the ones who understand the whole thing, the ones who really have a grip of it all. And the worst people are the are the talentless, insecure ones. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. That's 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 uh, as true in every part of life, isn't it? Really, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, uh, Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I really, really thank you for giving me your time. Uh, I've really enjoyed this. And, Not at uh, all. Yeah, great, great. Thanks a lot, Chris. And uh, I wish you all the best for your future projects. And I'll, and I'll be keeping them peeled as to what you're doing uh, next. Thank you very much, Chris. Nice one, and I hope you get a good reaction. And by all means, um, whether it's good or bad, do uh, do pass on any comments to me. I'd love to hear them. Will do. Thank you very much. All the best. Have a good night. Bye bye. Nice one. Cheers. See you. Uh, yeah, wow, great. That was, that was, I really loved to, uh, chatting to Chris uh, about, about his career. Uh, I'd always wanted to chat. It always was interested in Chris Carey, uh, just because I knew uh, the the the, um, the projects he was attached to uh, across the last, you know, well, I guess forty years uh, or nearly forty years. And I knew that he had a an ins- it would have been a very interesting insight into the world of UK music television, which actually, you know. We were sort of quite a bit of a pioneering uh, in a lot of ways uh, uh, with Top of the Pops and the Tube and all that. So um, yeah, really, 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 really loved it, and I'm, I'm sure you guys did as well. So um, uh, yeah, big thanks to Chris for his time. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you guys uh, like uh, what I do and you like the podcast and you know you uh, you dig it, uh, do. Give us a like, uh, give us a star, give us a thumbs up or whatever it is, whatever you need to do on your various uh, streaming platforms and uh, give us a, even a written review if you want to, if you're feeling particularly generous. And uh, there is also a, a buy me a coffee button. Uh, I think that's uh, that's a new addition to Heads on Sticks now. So if you're feeling like you can chuck us a quid for a half, do that. Why not? Uh, just to let you know, uh, next week we've got a guest coming up on my uh, Heads on Sticks show. At Arja Radio, uh, I'll let you know now. It's just between us. Uh, it's uh, Louis Bruno from I Know I'm an Alien, who uh, I did do a chat with uh, with the podcast, and um, he does all the sort of sound designs and the all the uh, sort of buffer interludes, uh, and he actually did the the special uh, interlude of the of the uh, whole lot of love riff uh, for, uh, as a as a unique uh, interlude for this uh, uh, podcast. So big thanks to him, and I do list to tune in next week. Um, unfortunately, uh, I just want to give a little shout out to Ten Twenty Radio. Um, they're um, they're they're shutting shop. They're dissolving, uh, and I just want to kind of give a shout out to Ten Twenty Radio and uh, uh, just thank them for you know, you know taking on uh, my Spit and Static show and letting me basically do anything I wanted and play whatever I wanted and pursue any kind of silly concept that I wanted with the show. 
they've been really supportive and uh, yeah splitting static was definitely uh, really uh, 1020 radio is really important for that show uh, into kind of giving it giving it the uh, the green light and you know just kind of um, never stopping me from any of my ideas really being really supportive so uh, yeah big shout out to 1020 radio and I wish them all the best for any of their future um, projects or endeavours uh, uh, whatever they're pursuing um, uh, yeah so uh, anything else coming up nah not really um, so uh, yeah w once again big shout out to Chris Cowie um, uh, really really uh, thanks a lot and uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye out on your, all your future um, uh, projects um, thanks for Louis uh, for doing the special one off um, uh, interlude as always big thanks to Jane uh, Mendenhall and uh, yeah, I'll see you guys uh, next month for another edition of um, uh, Heads on Six Chats. All the best, guys. Keep it well.